got a married couple in here who has been together more than 48 hours that could not attest to being misinterpreted. What you intend to convey gets muddled by the words you choose, the nonverbal communication, and then that gets interpreted by a spouse who's deciphering the information through their own experiences, right? I mean, therapists make a living off of the confusion that this communication causes. We get so befuddled by this, I think all of us can appreciate that a day or two after all the confusion, impatience, frustration, you can't even remember what you and your partner were arguing about, right? Now, good marriages work through this process to kind of create some clarity and a safe emotional space. Unhealthy marriages just figure it's too hard to work out. And what happens then? False assumptions run amok. I'm amazed at how many times I've been wrong with my assumptions. I know that doesn't amaze you guys, but it amazes me. How many times I've been wrong with my assumptions? Now, assumptions are basically guesses or judgments without the benefit of communication or or information and clarity. Now, there was a message spoken a couple millennia ago, that has been grossly misinterpreted. Now, was it because the recipients didn't understand the nonverbal cues? Was it because the experiences of the recipients wouldn't allow them to hear the message clearly? I'll I'll let you be the judge. Here was the message. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, God also used another messenger to communicate about Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John 1.39. So God shows up, an angel speaks, tells them that you know Christ is coming and he's going to forgive people of their sins. I mean, that certainly sounds like something that should be received with great joy, right? Hmm. There are actually many people who say that God has not spoken, that God has not shown up, that God has not made himself evident. Richard Dawkins and other well-known atheists point to this lack of evidence for God. It really kind of begs the question, what kind of evidence would convince such a person that there's a God? It's a great question to ask a person who said there's not enough evidence. So tell me, what kind of evidence would you be convinced? Usually it'll boil down to something like, well, you know, some great miracle, you know, like the, the stars aligning in the sky, and, the, and it spells out, I am here. Then would people believe? You see, a miracle by definition cannot be explained by science or just human reason. 
So out of the gate, there's a bias for people to discount any evidence for God. The fact is, just like in marriage, obstacles exist when people consider God because there are assumptions that are made, and it creates a biased perspective. The Bible speaks to this. And while the Bible doesn't use the exact verbiage I'm about to use, if you read Romans 1 through 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3, you'll get a message that basically says this, that no one naturally wants to be told what to do. Okay? I don't think any of us have had an experience who've raised kids and had a 13-year-old who said, I love it when you give me instruction. If you did, I will read your book on how you attained that with your 13-year-old. All right. Every human being finds it unsettling that there is a God who judges sin and has put in the universe his moral law. Every human being is uncomfortable at some point that God knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything we've done. And he's got to hold us accountable for all of that. That's a, a very unsettling proposition. So even if God did put a message in the stars, I happen to think that humans would deny that, would explain it away because of their bias against the idea of God. I think it's naive of us. I, I have students who will tell me this, that, you know, if, if there was just evidence, but it's naive of us to think that, you, that if there was just more evidence, more signs, that people would then automatically believe God, just like in the film clip. You got signs. Just weren't the kind of signs maybe you wanted. I'm reminded of a passage in Jeremiah that says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's a way of saying that not only do people reject the clear evidence for God, but they surround themselves with, you know, philosophies, worldviews that deny the evidence. And so they, they kind of embrace this shell game with a fervor against God. Jesus even said in Luke eleven twenty nine 29 that, the generation he was in was an evil generation. Why? Because they're always looking for more signs. Now, it's not that a sign is bad in and of itself. It's just that people use the sign as a smokescreen. In other words, you're covering up what really is the problem. Because the problem is not evidence. The problem is not give me more signs. The problem is there is a willful rejection of God and his moral order. And every one of us were born with that. It's the, it's the crux of sin. The message that Christ took away the sin of the world, I mean, that's the Christmas message, right? That's too traumatic for people to absorb because it challenges people's perspective. Let us remember that Christ lived about 33 years on the face of the earth. He did so many miracles that John tells us that all the books at that time could not have contained all the things that Jesus did. 
And yet, people, eyewitnesses to all this, and yet people rejected him, people hated him, and they had him killed. It had nothing to do with the evidence. It had everything to do with people not willing to submit to God, the God of the universe, acknowledge their sin, come to terms with the gospel, and follow Christ in true discipleship. Again, all humans are born with a nature that says, I am going to call my own shots. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. We are born with that. That's why people want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. They don't want anybody telling them how to operate in that area. I want to spend my money the way I want to spend it. I don't want anybody telling me what I need to do with my money. I want to have the pleasures that this world offers, and I don't want to have that inhibited in any form or fashion I have a right to that as a human being. Naturally, we are not interested in calling Jesus king and living in his kingdom. And so Jesus says the only hope for humankind, it's in John 6, 44. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's got to be an initial work of the Spirit of God in people's hearts to draw them because naturally we do not submit to God unless God does a work in us. That sounds like a a dire perspective of human beings, and it is. The prevailing sentiment in our culture of, you know, don't judge anybody, you got to be tolerant of everything, That's an outgrowth of not wanting the moral law of a holy God, not wanting to have God to tell us anything about what we should be doing. So we should expect that the the message of Christ to save people from their sin, that just like marriage messages get misinterpreted, that that message will be misinterpreted or even denied. I mean, Christ bringing joy to people, right? And this Christmas season being about him, that's been turned into completely something different in this season, has it not? I mean, we're to to spend billions of dollars as a culture on gifts. We're to decorate our homes. And if what you have isn't enough for all that, then get in debt to do it. Use your card. I would say that's maybe misinterpreting the season. Even Christmas music is getting misinterpreted. This is hard to believe, but according to a 2017 study conducted by a British psychologist named Linda Blair, listening to cheerful, jolly Christmas music, get this, could harm a person's mental health. Blair said the continuous playing of Christmas music in the car or at stores, reminds people of all the things they need to do before the holiday arrives. And I quote, you're simply spending all of your energy trying not to hear what you're hearing. So what was intended for joy 
now brings about mental illness. So throw away silent night, joy to the world, or you are going to become schizophrenic the next day. Serious mental health issues. Given this kind of cultural milieu, it's no wonder that churches struggle with often trying to remake Jesus into something more palatable for the culture. You know, let's make Jesus into a, a figure on how we can arrive at middle-class success. If you listen to sermons, you'll, you'll get that. Or, or let's make Jesus the object of entertainment. Churches adopt this. Why? Because, listen, a suffering servant to save people from their sins, that just doesn't sell. <laughs> people don't want that. It's really no different in the, than in the days of Christ, right? I mean, but Jews rejected him. Why? Because he was not the kind of Jesus they wanted. They wanted a military Jesus who would deliver them from Rome. That's not the kind of Jesus he was. They rejected that. Others rejected him because he was calling them to a life of discipleship and following him and, and saying no to worldly pursuits. They didn't want that. And you add this to the fact that Isaiah tells us Jesus was not good-looking, despite all the modern pictures of him, you know, flowing hair, the Marlboro man, you know. That wasn't Jesus. He wasn't some, you know, upwardly mobile guy. He was a simple carpenter who never had any earthly wealth. He grew up in a neighborhood on the wrong side of the tracks, it's why people said, there is nothing good that comes out of Nazareth. In his best-selling book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey contrasts the humility that characterized Jesus' visit to the prestigious image associated with royalty today. I quote, in London, looking toward the auditorium's royal box where the queen and her family sat, I caught glimpses of the way rulers stride through the world with bodyguards and a, a trumpet fanfare and a flourish of bright clothes and flashing jewelry. Queen Elizabeth II had recently visited the United States and reporters delighted in spelling out the logistics involved. Her 4,000 pounds of luggage, including two outfits for every occasion, a morning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, and white kid leather toilet seat covers. She brought along her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. A brief visit of royalty to a foreign country can easily cost $20 million. In meek contrast, God's visit to earth, to earth took place in an animal shelter with no attendants present and nowhere to lay the newborn king but a feed trough. Indeed, the event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal than human witnesses. A mule could have stepped on him. End quote. I mean, consider how God conveyed Jesus to the world. I, I get there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people that are in denial of all this. But just consider the data. I mean, centuries before Jesus arrived on earth, did you know that over 300 biblical prophecies were given about his coming, his, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection? 300 prophecies 
hundreds of years before. Now listen, pare this down to something quite smaller. Let's say that I could give you the exact score of every Chiefs game from here to the end of the season. Before they played, I would be a fantasy football guru. I would be making lots of money off of that. If I could, if I could somehow have that information, I'd be on TV. I'd be considered an expert in sports. But obviously, nobody's been able to do that. But something multiple times greater has occurred. Hundreds of years before he even stepped foot on the earth, specific details about Christ were accurately prophesied. Now, by the way, those who claim that the scriptures, you know, were just written by humans and rewritten and rewritten, can't be trusted. They even haven't done their homework, or worse, can't bring themselves to admit the implications of this data. That Jesus is God's son who came to earth to die for the sins of the world. Here's a sampling. Uh, here are 33 prophecies, uh, uh, one for every year that Jesus is on the earth, but they're over 300. So this is roughly 10%, okay? His being born a virgin. His being called Emmanuel. His being born in Bethlehem of Judea. Great persons coming to adore him. The slaying of the children of Bethlehem was prophesied. His being called out of Egypt. His being preceded by John the Baptist. His being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. His ministry commencing in Galilee. His entering publicly into Jerusalem. His poverty. His preaching by parables. His working miracles. His being rejected by his brethren. His being a stone of stumbling to the Jews. His being hated by the Jews. That the Jews and Gentiles would, would combine together against him. His being betrayed by a friend, his disciples forsaking him, him being sold for 30 pieces of silver is prophesied hundreds of years before it took place. His price being given for the potter's field, his being smitten on the cheek, his visage being marred, his being spit on and scourged, his hands and feet being nailed to a cross and a crucifixion before crucifixion was even in place, it was prophesied. His being forsaken by God, his being mocked, gall and vinegar being given him to drink, his garments being parted, and lots cast for his vesture, that a, a bone of him should not be broken, his being pierced, his resurrection was prophesied, as well as his ascension. And I could go on. Every one of those prophesied of Jesus hundreds of years before. Oh, evidence? Baby, we got some evidence that God indeed is calling the shots, that God indeed sent his son to die for us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not only did God announce Christ via the miracle of prophecy, but the life of Christ was sinless. He performed numerous miracles. This confirmed his identity and his message. And then he was, he was resurrected from the dead. And this was witnessed by hundreds of people after he spent three days in a grave. And then the greatest miracle of all, perhaps, is all in this room. The changed lives that are represented right here. 
I, I could give you an opportunity right now, and I know I'd, I'd hear many testimonies of the guilt and the shame that you lived under, the bondage, and how Jesus changed your heart, your perspective. Perfect? No. But a change of heart. A new identity that Jesus gave you. And then there are probably those who say, yeah, but how about the stars? I want, I want something in the stars. Well, we got that too. You know he did that for the Magi? He gave them a star that they could follow, and it pinpointed right where Jesus was born. So he uses the stars as well. Such miracles are signs that Jesus was sent by God, that God is active in the world. Why did God do this? so that we might have an opportunity to acknowledge our desperate need for him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How can we respond to that? How can we not, you know, misinterpret the information? I'll tell you how. We humble ourselves before a holy God. We acknowledge our sin before him. And we come to terms with the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for our sin. Maybe you've already made that decision. Then, Christian, you come before him and you acknowledge that this God is worth worshiping. This God is worthy of giving my life to. And you quit making excuses for not being all in in that life of discipleship with him. How could we give any less? Let's pray.